Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... Uh, your next storyteller is part of a, a sketch and slash or improv group called the Upright Senior Citizens Brigade. They showed up on Friday. They were dressed all in black and he spilled water on his chest and looked like he was lactating. It was... A wonderful sight, I'm sure. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for this guy. I love him to death. Rick Krupnik! It is true. I did look like I was lactating. Somebody, somebody actually yelled out as a suggestion that I was going to be a pregnant woman on an airplane. So I... Well, this story is, uh, is a little different than the other stories. Because destiny is, well, what it actually is destiny? Is it an accident? Is it predetermined? How does something happen that is quote-unquote destined to happen? And, and can we actually affect other people's destiny through our own actions? And that's what this story is about. Let me take you back to, uh, to World War II. We have two people involved in this story. Uh, the first one is a, uh, a young man by the name of Simone Flax. Simone is born in Russia uh, just about during the end of World War I. Uh, of course, the Russian Revolution comes, and uh, his father is fighting the Bolsheviks and disappears. They don't know where he is. And his mother uh, decides that maybe the best thing for the family, basically her and him, is to follow a lot of other Russian emigres and move to France. Around the same time, uh, a young woman is uh, by the name of Regine Pester is in a little village called Shemish in Poland. Now, both these folks are Jewish. The, the, the village in Poland actually is what's called the shtetl, which were what, what these villages were. And her family was facing terrible uh, anti-Semitism and fled to Strasbourg in France. Very religious family. Simone's family, not religious at all. And yet, their destinies will meet and their lives, their, their actions will affect literally thousands of lives. In fact, you've never heard of Simone Flax, but you can thank him every day because Simone who was a uh, physicist, a, an engineer, a uh, mathemat mathematical genius, invented one of the key components of the Telstar telecommunications satellite. So basically, in 1962, when they launched Telstar 1, some of his patented technology was used to beam live events all over the world. Uh, he affects us daily, and yet... None of us have ever heard of him or, frankly, any of the other scientists who do this type of work. Regine Pester affected the lives of other people in ways that changed their destinies. So we're going to go back to World War II. It's 1940. The Germans have invaded and basically destroyed the French army in about a month. France is split in two. The north of France is administered by the Germans, the south of France is administered by the Vichy government, which were basically collaborators. 
led by a World War I marshal by the name of Marshal Pétain. Luckily for both Régine and for Simone, they are in the Vichy-controlled part of France. This is very important because when Régine's family uh, was in Strasbourg, they evacuated all of Strasbourg just before the Germans attacked, uh, thinking that they were going to come in that direction, and they moved that family to the free zone, well, the relatively free zone. Simone's family was living in an area called Le Puy, which is very close to Lyon. When the Germans started to control all of France, which was in 1942, everybody's lives changed dramatically. You have to just imagine for a second the trauma of living under this type of fascism and then multiply it by the fact that knowing if they find out you are Jewish, you are going to be sent to a camp, likely never to be heard from again. Simone in uh, the Lyon part of France, the Le Puy-Lyon part of France, he was lucky in the sense that his mother was working as a secretary for one of the police departments there. And this police department happened to be pro-Charles de Gaulle, pro-Allies. Had she been in another department, things might not have turned out the same way. He had to quit school at 21, basically because there was no more school. The Germans had stopped the universities, had stopped the learning. And so he was working, doing odd jobs, and was introduced by sheer chance to a group of Jesuits who happened to be running an underground railroad for escaped Allied prisoners and also in smuggling documents throughout Europe, mostly throughout France, I should say. And they approached Simone and said to him, we know you want to continue your studies, but we need your help, and we can arrange for you to go to the Catholic University in this area if you'll do us one favor. And he asked, what was the favor? And they told him, we need somebody to take the clean passports and the blank fake papers that we are manufacturing here in La Puy to Lyon so that we can get them to the right people so that they can basically have those identity papers for either other Jewish people or allies or whomever. Simone agreed to do this. They sewed the papers inside of his pants. Now you have to think about this. They sewed the papers inside of his pants, and for two years, every two weeks, he went from Le Puy to Lyon, and then back again to Le Puy. The route that he had to take took him right by Gestapo headquarters in order to get to the individuals who he had to give the papers to. And as the story was told to me, he did so proudly, basically walking almost to a point of sticking his nose in the air at the Nazis as he was delivering these papers. 
Regine, on the other hand, has a very difficult time. Her parents are extremely religious. They don't speak French. And they are targets. See, prior to the Nazis administering all of France, there was a semblance of normalcy in the Jewish community in France in that they were still worshiping openly. But come 1942, all of that changed. And keep in mind, the French like to talk up the fact of all of the resistance fighters and the Maquis. The reality was that there were just a few brave souls who were doing this prior to the Allies' invasion in 1944. There were a ton of collaborators, people who would gladly turn in their fellow French citizens in exchange either for money or property or something that they coveted. Regine and her family find herself, themselves in this situation, and they are warned literally 15 minutes before the Nazis were going to come to, the SS was going to come to their home, that they were on their way. And for about five hours, hid in garbage cans in order to escape what would have been a death sentence. Immediately after that incident, they knew they had to move. The people who had warned them took them to folks who had false papers, possibly even provided by Simone. They moved to the Dodon area of France. And Regine's younger sister, Esther, contracts polio. Now, polio was a horrible... Thank God we don't know much about polio today in our country, but in the 1940s, it was a complete disaster. And they could not take her to the doctor in the town where they were living because they feared that he was a collaborator. So they instead, they took her to a local convent. It's interesting to me that it was the Jesuits with Simone and the nuns in the convent with Regine and her sister Esther who basically made the war so helped them to survive and, and made the war, um, I won't say palatable because that's the wrong word, but it made it at least livable. When they took Esther in and Regine joined her, they told them both that they must learn the catechism by heart. That was the first thing they had to learn because the SS would come into convents looking for displaced children and if the children could not recite the catechism by heart, they were taken away. This is the circumstances that Regine finds herself in, and this is of 1943. Fast forward a little bit. Because she's such a, a loving sister, she hears an incorrect rumor that her sister has been picked up by the Nazis out of the convent. And a selfless individual as she was, and actually foolish but brave, decides that she is going to go to the Gestapo headquarters and offer to trade herself for her sister. Luckily, about three blocks before she got to the headquarters, somebody found her and told her it wasn't true. 
1944, things are becoming very precarious for regime. The Nazis have been, or the, the Allies have invaded, and they are slowly rolling up France. The area that she was in, in the Dordogne, was a hotbed of activity for the Maquis and the resistance. They were blowing things up, they were cutting rail lines, they were attacking and killing uh, Germans and the Malice. The Malice were the French fascists who were actually worse than the Gestapo in the way they treated their fellow Frenchmen. It was decided by the nuns that it was too dangerous for Regine to stay there any longer, and so they made a decision they were going to move her to Le Puy. There was, of all things, a rabbi who was working underground and moving Jewish uh, families, and especially kids, in and out of, uh, of France, and also was involved in running a hospital for, uh, at the Catholic uh, um, mission in the La Puy area. And so they were going to train her to be a nurse. As the Allies are closing in in July of 1944, the regime has basically told you must get on this train. It is the last train that is going to leave this area. They're going to shut the railways down. And so she gets and takes in one suitcase every possession that she has, which really isn't much. And as she's standing on the platform waiting to board her train, a Malice soldier comes up to her and says to her, I need you to do something for me. And she says, what do you need me to do? He says, I must go into the building over there, but I'm not allowed to bring my, my machine gun in there. I need you to hold it for me. And so here she is, this 19-year-old woman with false papers, literally holding a suitcase in one hand and a machine gun in the other hand, wondering, how did I find myself here? The soldier comes back, thanks her, and then makes an offer to her, because Regine is an attractive young lady. My major, a German officer, wants you to travel in the first class cabin with us on the train. Regine is now in a full panic mode, because the worst thing that could happen to her is getting on a train with German officers Malice soldiers and having them start to question her. And so she begged off by saying that she didn't like soldiers, she was afraid of them, her mother would not approve, and by some miracle, they allow her not to take that train ride. Meanwhile, Simone is continuing to go back and forth through La Puy to Lyon delivering those documents as he's attending school. August 20th, 1944, Puy is liberated. Regine and the nurses from the hospital all go to the center of the town to watch the parade that has been organized by the Allies and by the French soldiers. Simone also happens to be there. Simone knows the rabbi, 
who is also part of that hospital. Regine, of course, is there. And the rabbi introduces the two of them together, along with other people. And they nod and they speak for a little while. And then the parade is over and she goes back to doing what she has to do in the hospital. And he goes back to doing what he has to do. Fast forward two months. Simone happens to be walking in a square in La Brie, and who does he run into but Regine? And they start to talk, and he asks her for a coffee. And one year and one day to the date of the liberation, they get married. Now, it's kind of a rough road for Simone to go to become a, uh, an engineer because, A, there's not a lot of jobs available, but even more important to him, a non-religious man, he feels a calling to try to repatriate all of the orphans through the Jewish agency to try to help them to find their parents. It's a thankless thankless job. Most of these children's parents have been murdered in the concentration camps. Trying to find them families to live with versus putting them in orphanages is his first goal, and he does this for almost a year and a half until finally he decides he needs to finish his education, which he does. Eventually being offered a job almost two years later, working with the French Telegraph and Telephone Company. And then from there, the story goes to how he begins to invent all of these wonderful devices that are precursors to the things that we use today, especially our cell phones. So think about the destiny that these two people affected. Regine as a nurse going into the field sometimes to bring people in and doing operations. Simone running all of these papers back and forth, likely saving hundreds if not thousands of lives. And the families who to this day are beneficiaries of their work and nobody knows who these people are. It's, to me, amazing that their destiny, their bravery, things that you always wonder, would I be able to do that given the circumstances, they managed to rise to the top and do it. But I think, for me, the most important personal part of this story is that on September 30th, 1957, Regine gave birth to a baby girl named Isabel. 21 years later, I married her. We'll be celebrating our 39th wedding anniversary next week. So please remember, when you think about destinies and you think about how we affect other people's lives, that to what, to what Randy said, it's a journey you don't realize who you affect by your actions or inactions. If all of these brave people did not help Simone and Regine, and in turn they help the other people, 
I would not have met the woman who I happen to love. Thank you very much. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.